Our Father, we thank you again for the privilege of assembling together. We thank you for the rest that we've had during the night, the health to be here. We have so much to be thankful for. And God, we do pray again now that we give you the glory for the blessings, Lord, of living in America. We have so much to be thankful for as a nation, as individuals, as families here today. And we pause to thank you and praise you for your mercy and grace. And Lord, as others have already even prayed today, we pray, God, that you'll continue to be merciful to us as a nation, individually, our families. Lord, we're thankful that you don't give us what we deserve. But we thank you for your grace and mercy. And all these events that are taking place, Lord, we know you're a sovereign God. We don't always understand, but we know you make no mistakes. And so we trust you. We pray, God, if we don't know all the trials and difficulties that some families here today may be going through, some individuals may be going through. But I pray, God, that all these situations will just draw us closer to you, humble our hearts, strengthen our faith. God, we just pray as we look into your word today now that you'll bind Satan. Allow the Holy Spirit, God, to take your word. You love us today. You know every one of us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, as Christ is lifted up here today, if there's one person in this auditorium who's not saved, may they realize that today and may they be drawn to Jesus Christ and know the joy of having their sins forgiven. And we'll thank you and praise you all that you do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Got your Bibles open to Psalm 22. The very first verse says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? If you're like most of us, if you're very familiar at all with the Bible, and especially the New Testament Gospels, you can't get through the first verse of Psalm 22 without being reminded of Calvary, without being reminded of the New Testament story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because we know that while Jesus hung on that cross while being crucified, we have in the Bible at least seven. If he spoke any more times than that, we don't know. But as far as the Bible's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus spoke seven times while even hanging on the cross. And this, of course, was one of those seven sayings that came from his lips. My God, my God, or my Father, my Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Now what's interesting is, as you read through the first, especially the first 21 verses of this psalm, and we'll read some of these in a minute, <coughs> As you read the first 21 verses of Psalm 22, it's almost like reading the story of the crucifixion in the New Testament Gospels. And the amazing thing is, the psalmist wrote this somewhere like a thousand years before Christ was crucified. That's hundreds of years. That's several decades before. And he gives some of the very details of the crucifixion. For example, look at verse 2. 
Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season am not silent. Some believe that that was prophetically speaking of the fact that at midday while Christ was on the cross, right at the time when the sun was at its strength and the peak of sunlight, God turned the world dark and there was day and night right in the middle of the day. You would drop down to verse 8 of Psalm 22. He trusted in the, on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. And if you're familiar with the story of the crucifixion in the Gospels, and I would hope that all of us here today are, we know that that is almost an exact quote of what many of the enemies of Christ at the cross quoted. Hey, if God has such delight in him as he claimed, then why doesn't God intervene and bring him down off that cross? Look at verse 14. He says, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Here's the psalmist at least a thousand years before Christ was ever crucified. And he's giving particular details as to what will happen in and around that crucifixion and even what's happening to Jesus physically. Look at verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd or a piece of dried pottery and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs, and that's not talking about literal dogs there, it's used, it was a Hebrew term that spoke of, of false religious leaders and the enemies of Christ and false teachers. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Now watch the latter part of verse 10. They pierced my hands and my feet. I don't know how anyone can deny the fact that this is what many call a messianic psalm. Here God, through the psalmist, is giving some exact details of what's going to happen to their promised Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, when He would come into this world and be crucified. Verse 18, They part my garments among them, and cast lots upon my vesture. And on and on we could go. You say, wow, that's something, isn't it? Decades, hundreds of years, a thousand years ahead of time, God is prophetically through the psalmist giving us some of the exact details of the crucifixion of Christ. And we have it recorded in the Gospels. Well, you know, the truth is we can go back even further than a thousand years. You can go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 3.15. Right after man's sin, right after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, as, as God's coming into the garden. And by the way, Adam and Eve weren't seeking God. They were hiding from God, weren't they? As a consequence of sin. And by the way, that's where mankind is today. <laughs> man's not trying to find God. Oh, he, he's trying to find the God that he's conjured up, the kind of God that man wants. But the God of the Bible, nobody's looking for God. God's reaching out for man in love and mercy. And God came into the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis 3.15, you have the first prompt right after man's sin. There in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3.15, God made that prophecy that Christ, that Satan would bruise Christ's heel. But Christ would bruise his head. You know what? Satan's a defeated foe, amen. You're on the winning side if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. 
So we could go all far back further than Psalm 22. You can go all the way back to Genesis 3.15. As a matter of fact, you can go back further than that. You say, well, folks, well, Pastor, that's pretty far back there. Genesis 3.15. What did Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 and 20, the Apostle Peter reminded us that we're not redeemed and saved with corruptible things like money and education and religion and good works. No, but we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross, which was foreordained, now watch this, before the foundation of the world. Wow! I get excited thinking that the psalmist was giving us details about the death of Christ a thousand years before it happened. And yet the Bible takes us all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Right after man's sin, God in mercy and grace immediately promised a coming redeemer, coming Savior. And then the, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter said, hey, this was all in God's mind and God's plan and God's heart before the earth was ever spoken into existence. Amen. What am I trying to emphasize this morning? Simply this, that the death of Jesus Christ isn't just another death. It isn't just another statistic. It isn't just another obituary in the newspaper. We've emphasized in Sunday school this morning and we've mentioned it and challenged our hearts again in this service to be praying for the persecuted Christians. You know, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ has given their lives for the cause of Christ down through history. Amen? And, and with Veterans Day coming up next weekend, and we've been reminding that, that many a soldier has given their life that we might have the freedoms and liberties, not only in America, but thank God some people in other parts of the world have freedoms and liberties. And I would not say anything to minimize the sacrifice in any of those lives or deaths. But the death of Jesus Christ wasn't the fact that someone else was martyred for a good cause. And that's what many liberal preachers and teachers teach. That He left us an example to follow. Find you a cause to live for. Find you a cause to die for. And follow the example of Jesus Christ and give it all. And even if you have to sacrifice your life as a martyr for a good cause. Now with all due respect, if that's all the death of Jesus was, then we're, as Paul said in his writings, we're nothing more than a bunch of fools. Amen. For the Are you with me this morning? The death of Jesus Christ was not just a martyr dying for a good cause. He died on that old rugged cross as a sinless, spotless sacrifice for our sins, amen. For your sins, for my sin, for the sins of the whole wide world. But you can put your name in mine. And notice this psalm begins with these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, Theologians, and by theologian we mean they're, they're supposed to be the experts in God's given them gifts and minds and they prayed and studied the Word of God and studied the deep doctrines of the Bible and 
and we, we, we and thank God for the different gifts and abilities that God's given different men and women. And they try to help us as the Holy Spirit opens up the Word of God to our understanding and illuminates it. And God help us, what in the world did Christ mean? What did He mean when He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We'll never totally understand that and comprehend it till we get to heaven, will we? There's no way we can totally comprehend it. That Jesus Christ was taking my sins upon Him. Jesus Christ was taking your sins upon Him. He was becoming, He was being judged for our sins. He became a sin sacrifice. And somehow the fellowship between God the Father and God the Son that had never been disturbed throughout past eternity and thank God will never be disturbed again. Somehow on the cross of Calvary as Christ was dying for your sins and mine. The Father could look upon Him in all of His holiness and righteousness. The Father and Son were somehow separated from one another. And I can give you an answer to that question this morning that satisfies my soul. The question is, my God, my God. Now Jesus is saying this, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, Jesus said. Me. And by the way, He was the only one that deserved not to be forsaken. I'll give you my answer to that question. The Father forsook the Son at Calvary so that He would not have to forsake Frank Hall one day. Amen. He died so that I would not have to be forsaken and cast out into eternity, separated from God forever and ever. And by the way, there was a time in my life when I was separated from God. As a child, as an adolescent, as a teenager, someone asked me the other day about the age of accountability. Does the Bible say there's any particular age a person has to be before they're accountable to God? There is no particular age. Some say 12 because Jesus, there's a story about Jesus in the temple at the age of 12. Some say 5, 6, 7. There's no particular age. I'll tell you one thing. Kids today, by the time they're 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, believe me, they know what right and wrong is. They know what sin is. Amen. And some children as early as 3 and 4 and 5 years old have been convicted of their sin and trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's no particular age of accountability. All of us are born sinners. And as a child growing up, as a teenager, maybe I didn't realize it, but I was already separated from God as far as my sin. The Bible says I was born with a sin nature. I was dead in trespasses and sins. And even though God was been merciful to me and given me a mom and a dad and a family and clothes to wear and food to eat and oxygen to breathe, and God was demonstrating His love to me a million different ways, I was still dead in sins and separated from God. And had I died physically, been unsaved, I would have gone out into a never-ending eternity, eternally forsaken and separated from God. Boy, my mind can't comprehend all that, but I believe it because it's what the Word of God teaches. Why was Jesus forsaken at Calvary? So that you and I, would not have to be forsaken for eternity if we would choose to humble our hearts and trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. Can you say amen to that? Some of the saddest verses in the Bible to me, if you'll hold your place here in Psalm 22, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew just a moment. The Gospel of Matthew, 
some of the saddest and yet true words that have ever been spoken is found in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. It's important to vote on election day. It's important to pray for the persecuted Christians around the world. But the most important thing we can do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. Amen? One sinner at a time. In Matthew chapter 7, and here's Jesus speaking, here's the promised Jewish Messiah that the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 22. And approximately a thousand years or later after the psalmist wrote Psalm 22, we have Jesus. We'll be celebrating His birth here in a few weeks. And here's Jesus teaching. Here's the compassionate, the compassionate, loving, merciful Jesus Himself. And aren't you glad after 2,000 years that we still have the Word of God? We have divine revelation that God has given us and has protected and preserved. And we can open up our Bibles after 2,000 years and still have recorded some of the very words that Jesus Himself spoke while here on earth. This wasn't some Baptist preacher somewhere. This wasn't some theologian or man. Here was Jesus himself speaking. And look what he said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils or demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Wow, sound like a pretty good group of people to me. How about you? Really involved in so many activities. But look what he said in verse 23. And then will I confess unto them, I never knew you. Notice he didn't say, I knew you. But then you lost it, and now I don't know you any longer. He said, I never knew you. didn't lose it. You never had it to start with. I never knew you. And then look at the next word. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Are there any sadder words in the Bible <laughs> than for Jesus, than for God the Father, than for the Holy Spirit? To say to someone, now do we believe this or not? Depart from me. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. And if we had time, we could go to passages in the book of Revelation at the great white throne judgment where the Bible says the lost will literally be cast, cast out of the presence of God. You talk about forsaken. We were talking in one of our sermons recently on the subject of mercy. Mercy, and how that those in hell, according to the story that Jesus himself gave us about the rich man and Lazarus, and, and, and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, which was a Hebrew phrase for paradise, and, and the rich man, not because he was rich, he told us why he went to hell. He didn't repent, and he wanted his brothers to repent. And he cried out, Oh, God, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his water, his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for have mercy upon me. Just crying out for one finger with water on it. You're talking about, I can't begin to comprehend what it must be like. What is it to be forsaken by God? 
and for God to cast you into a lost eternity, the Bible says the lake of fire, cast and separated and totally forsaken from the mercy. I can't comprehend that. I believe it from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet because God said it. Amen. God said it. I don't know what that phrase means to you, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I know what it means to me today. It means that I, by the grace of God, will not have to be forsaken. Amen. He died for my sins on the cross of Calvary that I might be able to go to heaven one day and not spend eternity separated from God in hell. Let me give you something else. Would you say that's wonderful? We could say amen right there and go home, but we're not. Amen. But you know what? Not only are we not forsaken, but we've been forgiven. Amen. We've been forgiven. Drop down in that psalm or go back with me to Psalm 22 just a minute. The first 21 verses, we didn't take time to read all of them. You can read it yourself. You're familiar with it. Psalm 22, the first 21 verses is to some degree a detailed description of the crucifixion of Christ. He's prophetically telling what's going to happen to the Messiah one day. But in verse 22, the picture changes. In verse 22 of Psalm 22, the, the Messiah says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And if we had time and we went back to John chapter 20, John's account of the not just the death of Christ and His burial, but His resurrection. Remember Jesus met one of those ladies and said, Hey, don't touch me yet. I'm going to my Father and I'll come back. And that's a whole different subject. And But you go to the disciples and tell them I'm going to meet with them. My Father and your Father. In Hebrews chapter 2, the New Testament writer of the book of Hebrews takes this verse right here, Psalm 22, verse 22. The writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2 quotes from this verse and applies it to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And in that second chapter of the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ left heaven one day and came to earth and He did not take upon Him the nature of angels. Did you know back at a time in history a certain amount of angels rebelled against God? Did you know Satan himself at one time was a created angel of God? Perhaps the most beautiful, the wisest creature that God ever created within the angelic realm. But he rebelled against God and God never provided him any salvation. And all the angels that rebelled in that rebellion, we refer to them as demons and devils today. And they know nothing of the mercy of God and forgiveness. Christ didn't come down here, Hebrews 2, and take upon Him the nature of an angel to go die on a cross so that Lucifer and the angels could be redeemed from their rebellion and sin. But Hebrews 2 says God, Christ came down here and took upon Him the seed of Abraham and He took upon Him a human nature and a human body so that He could go to the cross of Calvary and die for you and me. Why? Hebrews chapter 2, that we, now watch this, might be His brethren. Wow! 
My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that Frank Hall won't have to be forsaken one day. Well, that's enough to make me shout hallelujah. How about you? But wait, there's more. There's more. I'm going to forgive him. Put your name there now if you're a born-again Christian. And I'm going to born him into my child, into my family as my child. We're going to glory one day. Amen. Listen, this is resurrection victory here. The psalmist is prophesying that, that the Messiah is coming. He'll die, yes, but hallelujah, he will be resurrected. We have a living Savior. And not only are we not forsaken, but we've been forgiven. And if you're saved today, you're a born-again child of God. You're a member of God's family. Here we deserve hell, amen. And one day we're going to see Jesus. Will we see God the Father? Will we actually be able to see the Holy Spirit? I don't know. I've been asking myself these questions for 50 years now almost. And I Hey, just we have a lot of questions. We don't have all the answers. But I tell you what, I don't think we're going to be disappointed, are we? We're going to see Jesus, and by the grace of God, we're going to be just like Him. Not in deity, but in holiness and righteousness. You're talking about the gift of salvation. And this wasn't just something that God had to come up with one day. Peter reminded us, hey, this was in the mind of God long before the foundation of the world, before the first blade of grass was ever created. Look at the last part of Psalm 22 with me very quickly. In verse 23, he says, Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Now watch verse 26. Let me give you two challenges based on those two things I shared with you. I'm not forsaken, but by God's grace I'm forgiven. Amen. I've been born into the family of God as a child of God. Number one, first of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I plead with you and beg you to come to Christ. Look at verse 26. Verse 26. Now here's the psalmist speaking at least a thousand years or more before Christ was ever crucified. Here we are approximately 2,000 years later after the crucifixion. And look what the psalmist said in Psalm 22 verse 26. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. The meek, that's the humble, isn't it? I've mentioned just recently that pride, a lot of people will die and go to hell. A lot of church members, a lot of people caught up in church activity will die and go to hell one day because they're too proud to acknowledge that there's a conviction in their heart. And they will not fall on their knees and repent of their sin. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. Instead of come, welcome, depart from me. When Stephen died, he saw Jesus standing at the Father's right hand and saying, welcome home. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What's the opposite of that? Depart from me. Depart from me. Because they're not willing to humble their heart and acknowledge their sinfulness and put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and Him alone. 
The meek, though, shall eat. What does that mean? It's God's way of saying, personally partake. Taste of it. You can, you know, you, you can hear about a German chocolate cake all day long. You can smell the aroma of it. You say, man, well, I, I can't think of anything any more glorious than being able to have your sins forgiven and go to heaven one day. You can see it. You can hear about it. You can smell the aroma. But until you actually partake of it, it doesn't become yours, does it? That's what he's saying there. The meek shall eat and be what? Satisfied. Are you satisfied with Jesus today? Is there peace in your heart? Are you trying to work your way to heaven? Be good enough to get to heaven? Earn God's grace and mercy? Or has there been a time, and maybe maybe you don't remember the day, what day of the week it was, what time it was. Maybe you were a child and you got saved. But in your heart right now, are you satisfied? <laughs> Is there absolute Holy Spirit raw peace and joy that you know the Lord and the Lord knows you and there's no doubt, there's no question about it. Your sins are forgiven. You're depending on the blood of Jesus and His righteousness and nothing else. Amen. As a matter of fact, look at the very last verse of this psalm, verse 31. The, the, the psalmist prophesied that people would come one day and declare His righteousness. That's not your righteousness and mine, self-righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus unto a people that shall be born. Here's the psalmist prophesying a thousand years ahead of time that these things would happen to the Messiah, who we know is Jesus, and that it would be passed down generation after generation. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're telling the same old, old story, are we not? Which is the theme of our Christmas program coming up. And look at the last part of this psalm. It says, unto a people that shall be born, that he, that is Jesus, hath done this. I understand in the Hebrew language, which this was originally written in, that it could very easily have been translated. The phrase there, that Jesus hath done this, could just as easily have been translated, it is finished. Where have I heard those words? Another quote coming from the lips of Jesus on the cross. When he said, I've done it. We've done it. It's accomplished. Not it's finished in the sense that we're defeated. It's all over with. We, we died for a lost cause. Oh, hallelujah, no. But it is done. That which was planned from the foundation of the world. That which was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. That which David, the psalmist, talked about a thousand years ahead of time. That which is found and pictured all through the Word of God from the first verse to the last. It is done. Hallelujah. It is finished. It is accomplished. Oh, hallelujah. We got a message to give this world today that's worth giving. Isn't it? And so first of all, the question is, Verse 26, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek Him. Your heart shall live for how long? Forever. That's eternal life. Number one, have you personally eaten? Peter said, uh, quoting again from the Old Testament, Oh, taste and see how good the Lord is. Amen. Just... Reach out by faith and trust the Lord and personally experience the forgiveness and salvation that Christ can give. That's the challenge to you here today if you're not saved. And I don't know, I hope and pray there's not one here, but, but there may be just one here today 
And if that's your case, and the Spirit of God spoke into your heart, come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus. And then for the rest of us, if you're saved today, he says there in verse 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. I believe that's a picture, first of all, that people out of every nation in the world Not everybody will get saved, but missionaries will go around the world and there will be people from every nation of the world calling upon Jesus Christ and been saved and been part of that church and that family. And one day Jesus Christ is coming back again, amen, as King of kings and Lord of lords and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the truth about Jesus. If you're not saved today, come to Jesus. If you are saved, may God once again challenge our heart We've got the greatest news, the greatest message in all the world. We've got the only message that can change men's hearts, amen, and change men's lives. We mentioned in Sunday school talking about persecution and how that Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are they that are persecuted, but to pray, to love your enemy. Pray for those that are persecuting you. And I mentioned in the Bible, you know, I think we all will agree here today that the, the, that the problem, there has been no greater Christian that ever lived on this earth than the Apostle Paul. Certainly there's never been a greater, more faithful Christian than the Apostle Paul. And yet when we first meet him in the Bible, he's not the Apostle Paul, he's Saul of Tarsus. He's the arch enemy and leader of persecution against Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and I've often thought of this, and I'm sure I've heard others mention it down through the years, that I wonder how many of those early Christians prayed prayers like this, and rightfully so. God, why don't you just move this Saul of Tarsus off the scene? Why don't you just, Lord, just send him on to hell. Just get him out of here. And He's the one that's stirring up all this persecution. And God said, I'll do better than that. I'll turn the wolf into a lamb, amen. (laughs) And he knocked him to the ground on the road to Damascus. And Saul met Jesus, amen. Now, will all our enemies meet Jesus? No, but if they would humble their hearts like Saul would, they could be saved, amen, and find the truth. And so if you're not here today, and you're if you're here today, if you're not here today, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord is your Savior, come to Christ. You'll never have to worry about being forsaken. But you can be forgiven and become a child of God. And may we be reminded that we still have the message of the gospel of Jesus. Here we are. You know what? We are fulfilling prophecy. Even David in Psalm 22 said it will be passed on generation after generation. And here we are doing exactly what the psalmist and many, many others down through the Bible prophesied would happen. And it's still the same old, old story. Vote on Tuesday, yes. Pray for persecuted Christians around the world, yes. But the most important thing you can do is give someone a gospel tract. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Get them somewhere where they can hear the gospel, amen. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the message this lost world needs to hear. Can you say amen to that? Let's bow our heads in prayer. The Apostle Paul, with heads are bowed and eyes are closed. It was Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I believe, who said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God, the dynamite of God, 
unto salvation to anyone, anyone, anywhere in this world who would hear Him and believe and humble their heart and reach out and taste and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. You're here today and it's not my intention to cause anyone to doubt your salvation, but if the Spirit of God's put His finger on your heart and down deep in the recesses of your heart you don't know, there's a question. Don't fight it. Don't resist what God's trying to do. Humble your heart and in your heart right now cry out to God and say, Oh God, bring me to the place where I'll get this thing settled. I want to know for sure that I've repented of my sin and Christ is my Savior and I've truly been forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven through the blood of Christ and His righteousness, not my own goodness and self-righteousness. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to draw you to Jesus today. And may each one of us ask God right now to Truly, we get so used to this, we don't mean to, but we get desensitized and we can go a whole week and rub shoulders with people and be out into the crowds and the thought never cross our mind that someone in this crowd might need God give us a burden for souls. That's why He's left us here. To keep telling the old, old story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, speak to our hearts today and may the Holy Spirit just have freedom and liberty to draw the lost to you and to challenge us, O oh God, to, in, in all these different issues that we can get caught up in, O oh God, help us to stay focused on what we're here for mainly. And that's to get the gospel out to a lost world. The neighbor across the street, the, our, our, our buddy at school, the, the guy we play ball with, the, the lady that fixes our hair, whatever it may be. Lord, help us, give us a burden. Tell them the old, old story. We'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you stand with me this morning? And while everyone is standing with heads bowed, eyes closed, the pianist is going to begin to play softly, and here's what I want you to do. You've listened so carefully this morning, and I appreciate it. <clears throat> there may be one person here today, I don't know. God knows your heart, I don't know your heart. There may be one here today and the Spirit of God spoken to your heart. I can't save you. This church can't save you. Walking down an aisle will not save you. But it may give someone an opportunity to pray with you. Take a Bible and open it and answer some questions you may have. And lead you to Christ is the term we use. God works through people, doesn't He? God works through people. If you're not absolutely sure that Christ is your Savior, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, we're praying for each other. Would you be willing to humble your heart? The meek, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. Would you be willing to come to Christ? Jesus said, come unto me. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll not have to one day say, depart from me. But I'll say, welcome thou into the joys of the Lord. Would you come to Christ? Right where you stand, just reach out. Reach out in faith. Oh, reach out. Look and live, amen. Look to Jesus. We can help you with that. Would you come right now? And ask the pianist to play one more verse. Would you ask God to help you? This is something all of us can do. Children, young people, adults. Even before this day's over. Share a track with somebody. Invite somebody to church. Tell someone what Jesus has done for you. 
Let's get the gospel out to a lost world. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for the persecuted Christians around the world. We can help you. You come right now. people said, Amen. How many of you are glad you're saved and going to heaven by the grace of God? Say Amen. Amen. Be back tonight. Deacons meeting at 5. Choir practice at 5. Our evening service. By the way, have you appreciated the last four Sundays that uh, Steve has been preaching out of the Gospel of Mark? He's going to pick up on that series tonight in the 6 o'clock service. And so be back at 6 o'clock and he'll pick right up where he left off last Sunday morning and continued preaching through the Gospel of Mark. Amen. Good day. God bless you. Be careful going home. We'll see you later in the day.